New women are discovering this podcast daily, and all the time I get messages from you, the listeners, telling me that this podcast has changed your life. I am so sincerely happy to hear that. Thank you for listening and for tending to that sacred fire of your own sacred remembering journey. It's so important. Here in the final season of the podcast, I want to sincerely invite you into the next iteration of sacred remembering, community. It is more important than ever that women commune, that we weave the unfolding magic of this great mystery together alongside one another, and that we share the codes and realizations of this very real magic that is unfolding in our lives. The Sacred Remembering Community is the next layer deep. If you love the podcast, join us there. We meet in person, on live calls, we meet in truth, in solidarity, and we meet globally. We are opening to a greater experience and expression of energetic, sexual, relational, spiritual, bodily, and financial sovereignty. We do all of this within the unified field and within the integrity of the Christus Sophia, the one Mother, Father, God. We do it in unity and we reunify all of the aspects of ourselves on this journey and in this space. Everyone is sovereign, everyone is free, everyone is on their sacred remembering journey, and we amplify things when we do it in community. It is my honor to serve you and to serve your journey, to introduce you to my wonderful friends. We've been creating community, it's for you, and what's to come is so exciting. The energy from this podcast is now moving into community. After you've enjoyed this episode, or right now, come join us. We're at sarahpoet.com backslash community. Hello and welcome to season six of the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who we are. I'm your host, Sarah Poet. Women are healing from outdated paradigms and we're rising, but we're not doing it by fighting or further depleting ourselves anymore. We do it by remembering who we are and standing in that truth. Here, we remember our sovereignty together through stories, tools, curiosity, and community. In doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. Visit sarahpoet.com today to join the Sacred Remembering Women's community. I also have many resources for you on your journey to reunite feminine and masculine including private alchemical space holding for both individuals and couples. Schedule a consultation today at sarahpoet.com and I look forward to hearing from you. Now, let's begin. Hello, beloveds, and welcome back to episode 141 of the Sacred Remembering Podcast. It is so good to be here with you and bring you this really special episode with Liz Kelly. Liz Kelly was a a guest on the podcast recently. We named that inside of this podcast. So you can go back and listen to that as well. I think we recorded last May and Liz finished her book. It's called home to her. And it is a (laughs) remembrance and a calling and a devotional piece of art to the sacred feminine. 
And I've been reading this book and loving it. And I loved this conversation with Liz. I love any chance that I have to talk with Liz, but something happened in this episode and you're going to hear it. And it's been a few weeks since we did the recording and there has been a very special alchemy that has been happening in me. And I just want to say thank you to Liz for coming and sharing your stories, for sending me the book, for like activating truly a remembrance of the sacred feminine within me that like it, it happened through this conversation. When I say activation, what I mean is like a, a soul remembrance or, you know, that spark that just happens. It's like a divine synchronicity that happens. And sometimes they're like really big and really obvious. And then sometimes it's just like, wow, the magic of the unfolding is exactly what we needed. And so, you know, the way I showed up to this conversation with Liz, I was in some, you know, grappling, like here I am at the end of the sacred remembering podcast. We're going to conclude with 144 episodes right now. That is the divine guidance that I have received. And even in the weeks since recording this episode, more and more information about why I am concluding the podcast, but really about like what's next and what's emerging has been able to come through. And I'm not going to share as much about that now. I will probably share more about that in episode 144. And yet you know, the, the space that I was in when we recorded this, there was some questioning, there was some like not knowing and maybe even feeling a little disgruntled, I would say. And I think at one point in this interview, in this conversation, Liz said, you know, she had this period of time thinking like, well, maybe I'm done with this. And I admit in this episode that I have had this, like, well, maybe I'm done and, um, I'm not done. Of course I'm not done with this soul journey, but there are parts of what I have been doing that are done. And a few episodes ago, I can't remember exactly which one it was. It was like one thirty something. I did this episode about like an old template merging to the new template. And just two days ago, my soul guided me to go back and listen to my own words (laughs) and like go back and listen to that episode again. And, you know, I, I've had to remind myself many times recently that I am in the process of re-templating, like coming into a new template and into a new consciousness. And I would say that I I would describe where I was when we started recording this conversation as like not really remembering that that was what was going on. Like I was just a little (laughs) like, um, you know, disgruntled or something. And then throughout this episode and like listening to Liz and listening to her stories, you're literally going to hear me remember like 
inside of this conversation, going from admitting, like, maybe I'm done to this part of the episode that was important for me to like hear and really recognize. And, and what I said was, um, you know, in so many words, like I acknowledged that sometimes I take the magic that is presented to me in life. I take it for granted or, maybe there's like some self-worth stuff with that. Like I'm, you know, who am I to receive this super magical, mystical, you know, thing that's being offered to me or, um, yeah, just like, okay, there's some magic, but am I really going to step into it? And I would say that as a result of this conversation, (laughs) like in the end, you hear me be like, oh yeah, this is why I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) And in this new template that's, I'll I'll talk more about in episode 144, I'm sure, you know, it is the heartland template. Like it is the, the feminine prosperity. It is like what happens after patriarchy. And, um, that's what I'm here for. And that, you know, in some ways, in, in many, many ways, I'm just, I'm just getting started. But after this conversation, I had, I would say like a, a, you know, (laughs) revisitation (laughs) from the, the feminine. And I think that this is happening collectively. I don't think I'm the only one because once I started to really sit with this, I started noticing it on social media, but this recollection of the dark feminine. And Liz can probably talk to this better than I can. I know she's done episodes on the black Madonna. You should check that out on her podcast home to her. But I was writing and I was writing in heartland, um, in my book that's emerging. I was writing about what I was calling the dark feminine, but really what I was talking about was like the shadow feminine, like the manipulative feminine. And then I was like, I'm using the wrong words. Actually, the, the shadow feminine is the shadow feminine. And that is like, you know, the one that like wants to hook men or, you know, claim victim in order to get resources. Like that's shadowy behavior of the feminine, but dark feminine is deep wisdom. It is earth connection. It is like primal. It is soul material. It has so much to teach us. And so in my personal journey with, you know, yes, stepping into claim the magic and the mystery that is my life, shout out right here to my dear friend, Lisa, who is walking hand in hand with me right now in this remembrance and this like retemplatization and emergence and, and like where I'm going, we all need our, you know, divine partnerships, our divine guides and allies in our soul path. And, and right now, Lisa, thank you for being that with and for me. And, and in this episode, I, you know, didn't know how to accept the divine gift that was being offered to me in Lisa's like offering to walk with me through this, which I can't even put into words how sincere and how, um, needed that was and has been. And like, it's like helping and 
pulling me up and pulling me forward. And, um, we can't do this alone. Like we just fucking can not do it alone. This like <laughs> lone wolf woman's warriorship bullshit just really has to stop because it is what would, you know, after so much sacred remembrance, it, w- it is what would have us say, I'm done. If we think that we are doing this on our own, we're not doing it on our own. There's so much guidance in the invisible realms. There is so much guidance in the earth. And so I am, I am deep in this gorgeous soul process of saying yes to what is being offered to me, saying yes to the leadership that I am here to bring forward, saying yes to Heartland, saying yes to much more (laughs) that maybe I'll, I'll share with you in episode 144 that's upcoming, but I'll also continue to share. I'm not done. I'm not done. So you can sign up at sarahpoet.com, sign up for the newsletter. There's there's a lot emerging. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you like exactly what, but I can tell you that it's more on purpose than ever. And it will be more authentic and more rich and more regenerative and more gracious and giving and authentic (laughs) and, and impactful than anything else I've ever done, including this whole body of work of this podcast. So that all wanted to be said today. And that on top of an episode that is a little bit longer, but I never want to stop talking to Liz. (laughs) And there were so many questions that, um, I could have continued to ask her, but I wanted to you know, just respect where the, the conversation was flowing. And also, yeah, like we can, we can keep having these kinds of conversations and it's so, so necessary to do so. So yeah, <laughs> here's to your own like divine sparks that are going to happen throughout this episode. Um, the, remembrance of the feminine, you know, the, the gorgeous, like, you know, Kuan Yin compassionate feminine, and then the like highly erotic, highly, you know, sensual dark feminine that is emerging. And like, here's to our reclamation of all of that on all layers. Like we cut that dark feminine, that like body, like embodied feminine. We cut it off long ago with patriarchy, with the, um, emphasis on the head, on the cognition, on the knowing, on the having it all together. And it is like within this like deep erotic earth wisdom that so much is reemerging right now. So, um, happy remembering, happy remembering to you Thank you, Liz, for being here. Thank you, listeners, for being here. I love you all so, so much. (laughs) So much. If we haven't yet connected, let's connect. You can find me at sarahpoet.com. You can, um, there are two opportunities right now. I'll tell you super quickly about them. The Sacred Remembering Community is going to stay open. 
there are other advancements that are happening, which are very exciting, but it's not going anywhere. It may be like, you know, <laughs> transfiguring or something like whatever that word is, but, um, community is certainly here to stay certainly here to stay. So sarahpoet.com backslash community. And we have, um, bi-weekly calls. Sometimes I jokingly call those sacred feminine church, but it's not too far off from that. Um, and we build community and we also share a mighty network online space. That's, you know, different than Facebook and is private. And then there's also a whole resource library there for you, uh, with all things from like meditations to relationship teachings, to masculine, feminine integration, to sovereignty teachings, etc. And I add to that frequently. And then, um, the other opportunity that is open right now to begin, uh, early January, 2023 is my annual structure and flow group and structure and flow is really about resource sovereignty for feminine essenced beings. And through, uh, structure and flow, masculine and feminine, we travel together for 90 days and, um, track where our time and our energy and our resources are going because resource empowerment is you'll hear in this episode, like it is, um, everything to, <laughs> to me and to the future of my work. And so structure and flow is really about looking at the empowerment of our resources from an internal perspective that then reflects positively into the, into the external. So said differently, women have been taught to self-sacrifice their internal resources that are extremely valuable, like our time and our bodies and our attention and our life force and our heart energy, our emotional energy. We've been taught to give that away in the hopes that we would be okay or accepted or loved or have access to money and external resources. So structure and flow is this empowerment system to have you know the, the value of your internal resources, know your self value, and then have that be reflected in the external. I have chills right now. So you are welcome to sign up now through December 14th. Contact me anytime at Sarah at sarahpoet.com to ask questions, join, or, um, you know, like just get help. <laughs> in any way, like any way I can be of help. I am here for it. I'm, I'm here for it. Thank you for listening to this longer intro and the share and please enjoy this episode and get ready for your own sacred remembering activation through the weaving that, um, Liz and I do through this conversation. Enjoy. Hello, Liz. Welcome back to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for having me back, Sarah. 
Yes. I just re-listened to our last conversation that we did in May of this year, and I loved it. I welcome everyone to go listen to that. And in that, we really focused on her story, like the history, the her story um, of the sacred feminine. And you wrote a book. So we ha- we had you back. We went, <laughs> I'm going to come back. And today we're going to talk about the book that you wrote, Home to Her. Congratulations on your book. Oh, thank you so much. It's quite a wild thing to have it out in the world after all this time. It's pretty exciting. Yes. I want to dive into that and I want to read your bio first to introduce you, reintroduce you to listeners. And then, yeah, and then I want to talk about books. <laughs> I want to talk about <laughs> book writing and the sacred experience of book writing for sure. So we'll we'll dive in there. Okay. So Yeah. Liz Childs Kelly is a writer, award-winning researcher, educator, community builder, and the host of the popular Home to Her podcast, which is dedicated to amplifying the voices of the sacred feminine. Her writing has been featured in a variety of online publications, including Forbes, Mashable, Rebel Society, Human Parts, which is a medium publication, and Braided Way, as well as the Girl God's Books Anthology, Just As I Am, Hymns Affirming the Divine Female. An initiated priestess in the 13 Moons lineage, she also holds certifications in Reiki as well as Vinyasa and Yin Yoga. And Liz lives in rural Virginia with her family and can often be found exploring the nearby Blue Ridge Mountains or wandering in the woods behind her home. And um I'll just say that I'm a Blue Ridger myself. And so <laughs> that is home to me as well. You can find Liz at hometoher.com and on Instagram at home to her. So welcome. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And I was going to say that maybe that's this is one of many reasons why uh, I like you so much, fellow Blue Ridger. <laughs> fellow Br- <laughs> I know, like when you get it, you get it. I was born in Pennsylvania and I live in North Carolina and I know people from all over the world listen to this podcast. And so Pennsylvania is North, North Carolina is South. And then Virginia, where you are, is in the middle. And my some of my um, ancestry and lineage is, is from Virginia. And so I am... I'm always like, yeah, I have a, I have an Appalachian Blue Ridge, like karmic thing happening in this lifetime. Like I'm very much an Appalachian mountain girl. Um, And there are other parts of the world that call me, but it's like, at least so far, the karma and the lineage pieces, which I know we're going to talk about today, um, have been working out in these mountains. So Mm. it's a special place. It is. And I have ancestry in North Carolina. Uh, and Virginia, but yeah, lots of my family, um, settled in North Carolina and Western North Carolina and the Appalachian mountains. And my people are all from here too. So I'm sure if we went back far enough, your people probably, you know, who knows, maybe they knew each other, your people (laughs) and my people. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. Because I, I also have, um, yeah, my, my grandfather's side came from Western North Carolina. So yes. Wonderful. Um, So Home to Her, the book by Liz Childs Kelly is available now. And I just want to say that this book cover, I've, I've thought about it multiple times. I'm like, is this my favorite book cover ever? (laughs) Like, I think it might be my favorite book cover ever. This piece of art is incredible. 
I think it might be my favorite book cover ever too. And not just because it's my book. (laughs) It is so gorgeous. Yes. And so it's a piece of art. Yes. It is a piece of art. The woman who made it, her name is Arla Patch and she's from Pennsylvania, Sarah. So there you go. Um, Oh, okay. She's incredibly talented and um, is, I'll just describe it, you know, since people can't see it, but it is um, the body. It's the outline of a body of a woman, um, but it's extremely colorful and vibrant and, and integrated within that body are all of these different um, beings from nature. So there are hummingbirds at the breast and a turtle shell at the heart and these beautiful roses at the center of the body with bees. And there's this fabulous snake coiled in the womb with eggs. Just so many, oh, so it's many, a snake. it's a snake. I know. Oh. It's so, so beautiful. Um, and it, it's very textured looking because the original piece was, was a uh, clay that yeah. the artist, um, dyed herself and then coiled oh. it into these different shapes. So it's very, you know, even though if you're holding it as a book cover, it's obviously flat. It's got a very multi-dimensional thing happening there. So I, I'm totally really, in love with it too. <laughs> I'm so in love with it. There's a butterfly in the uterus, like yes. in the womb. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so gorgeous. Yeah. So congratulations on that book cover. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I, you know, I, yes. And all credit goes to Arla on that. I, then I, but I did feel like this you know, there was this, there's a whole thing, you know, when you're writing a book and like, oh gosh, what kind of cover is, is going to represent what I'm talking about. And I think that the sacred feminine can be very, it isn't nebulous. It's a deeply embodied thing, but when you say those words, it can feel really nebulous. And so when I saw this particular piece, I was like, yes, that's it. You know, and of course the artist has to agree to license their work to you. So I was so glad that she was willing to do that and wanted to be part of this project. Yeah. Mm. So beautiful. Okay. So let, can we just talk about the process of book writing? And, um, I, I mean, you did it. It's like, (laughs) it's here. I've started a few books. I'm actively writing at least one right now. And I feel like I am like living the end of the book and it's Mm -hmm. been like a very deep and I'll say very like mysterious. I think that the sacred feminine is like all, (laughs) all in this because sometimes like, I can't, I can't see where it's going. I can't see the end. And that has been one of the things that has really, I like, I have allowed that to sort of hold me up. Like as in, um, I have taken longer to work on the entire project because I was like, I can't see the end. I don't know what happens in the end. And so I've been, I think this is the time that I've like been living the end. (laughs) I, I imagine. Um, and it's very mysterious. It's very, yeah, we talked about this in the last episode that like, we don't, we don't know where we're going when we're traveling with the sacred feminine, but we're like trusting. So, um, I would love to hear about your experience writing the book and how it came to you and why you felt you needed to do it. And, um, just the journey of actually get getting through it. I've, um, I'll also mention that I'm listening to some publishers talk about book writing right now, Mm. just keeping myself in that field. And, um, they were saying, you know, 
the number of people that think that they want to write a book is like 85% of people that are surveyed or something like that. And then like <laughs> the number that actually write the book is very low. <laughs> like it's very um, unique to actually write and finish a book. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> like coming so to the end of that journey or the whole way through that journey. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It is quite a, it's quite a process. And and so that's funny. I always wanted to write a book. I, I have always identified as a writer and, um, I don't know if you've ever read these things that will tell you, I, I remember reading, you know, I was working with a career coach, but my first career, like as a business, you know, working in business and I had a, a business coach who had me read a book and it, it was talking about how often we land on our purpose as, um, kind of in this period of adolescence or when we first really start to develop a, a deep sense of self. And the first thing that I remember loving more than anything was writing. I just couldn't get enough of it. I had this Mickey Mouse notebook and I would go behind my house and write really embarrassing poetry. <laughs> um, but I was, <laughs> I was, um, I, I was really into it. And, but, but I thought that I was going to write a book this is a little embarrassing, but you know, in my, my earlier career stage, I thought, you know what, I want to write a book. That's kind of like a, a easy, super simple, uh, you know, business success book kind of thing that wouldn't be hard for me to write, but it'll sell really well. And I'll, I'll make a lot of money. This is so funny to me now. I can't even believe I'm sharing that. I did not write that book. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had one that was actually like, here's how to do it all as a working mom. <laughs> Thank God I didn't write that book. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Right. So, um, I think the inspiration to write was correct. Cause it, it's something that always called to me, but, um, you know, I had this, I had this other business career and I was really into it. And then the sacred feminine kind of found me. And we talked about that on our, um, you know, the, the last episode that we did together, um, but after that point, I, so I ended up selling my company because this call to understand the sacred feminine was so strong that I knew that I needed to get out of that career and start focusing on this. And I didn't even really know what the, the sacred feminine meant at that point. I just had this hunch that there must be some historical tradition where um, people knew God as a woman or in female form, which of course, you know, I know that absolutely there's so many that do. But so I had this hunch. So I had sold my company and um, it was a deeply, ah, it was a very difficult process. The negotiations um, got really contentious. It was just, it was not pleasant and it was, it was painful. And then there was this loss of identity as well. And so I think, you know, right after the sale finally closed, and I mean, right after, like days after I was trying to figure out what am I going to do next? Because it was so uncomfortable to be in that space of like, wow, I just walked away from this huge career and I have no idea who I am and what I'm going to do. So I almost immediately was trying to pivot towards uh, whatever my next project would be. Um, Instead of just allowing myself time to grieve and to heal and to let what needs to be revealed, be revealed, be revealed. So about... I mean, truly, it was about six or seven days after the sale of my company. Um, I woke up one morning with this very clear thought in my head. And like someone had spoken it into my head. And it was, make any decisions that you want. But just know that everything is going to change in seven months. 
And I remember thinking, what a bizarrely specific number, seven months. And I wrote it down in my journal that morning and I thought, okay, all right, well, I don't know if that means anything or not, but I'm going to go on and do my thing. So I, I spent a lot of time wandering in the woods and crying a lot and doing yoga and catching up on time that I had missed with my children because I've been so busy with my other career. You know, I hadn't been present very much. Um, and then one morning I woke up again, very clearly early and had this thought of, I am going to write a book. I'm going to write a book about the sacred feminine. I barely knew anything about the sacred feminine at that point. I was in no way qualified to write a book. I had just started doing some research, but I was getting ideas for structure and flow and all of this stuff. So I, I got up and I grabbed my journal and I go to start writing it all down. And the journal fell open to that page where I had written down, you know, the seven months thing wow. and you, wait for it. Right. You know, so that date that I wrote down was October 8th, which was I'm not kidding. Six days after I sold my company and the current date was May 6th. So it was almost <laughs> seven months to the day, nice. uh, which still kind of blows my mind. So I feel like the inspiration to write the book was definitely a partnership, a co-creation with the divine. It was something that I needed yeah. to do. But like I said, I was not in any way qualified to do it just yet. Um, so I, and that structure, by the way, changed like 50 times, but I think it was, it needed to get it. I needed that to get started. Yeah. But I, I started writing my portion of the story first and how things had unfolded for me and how I came to know the sacred feminine. And I actually wrote an entire version of this book that was a little bit more down that path. And I think what I have realized now, I didn't realize at the time, but at, because I'm a writer, I process a lot of things through words. Mm -hmm. And I think that I needed to write that first full draft to process all that had happened for me. I don't know that all of that necessarily needed to be in people's hands, but I needed to say it in some yeah. way. I need right. to put it on paper. Yeah. And, um, and then I, you know, to, it's funny that you said that, Sarah, I, I had a very visceral sense of I'm still living this story. I'm not there yet. Like mm. there's, I can't, I can't write it all yet because I'm still in it. So I would write part of it and then, and then I would be living you know, what was happening. I'd set it aside. And you know, my family, we traveled for two months throughout Europe when my children were really small. So I could go visit some of these sacred feminine sites. And I had already started writing at that point. So mm -hmm. I had to set the book down and just be in those experiences. I actually brought my laptop because I was like, I think I'm going to work on it while I'm there. And I, no, I didn't. I lived it. I was in mm -hmm. it. I was mm -hmm. fully immersed in it. And then the research, you know, was on and off and on and off. There's, there's a lot of historical research in the book. And so, and I, I really, this is where the dance, I think it's interesting to have this conversation from a sacred feminine perspective, as opposed to a more traditional masculine perspective, because I, I could not put too much structure to this project. Like mm -hmm. I, I had ideas of things I, maybe wanted to read, but the book seemed to come to me. The research books seemed to come to me and whenever like organically, or mm -hmm. they would appear on my path. And whenever I would get to the point of like, well, should I be in like a graduate program? Should I be, it was just all the creative energy would just shut down. It was mm -hmm. like, no, this is not the way it's supposed to go. It mm -hmm. is 
it's going to be handed to you piece by piece, which is really hard <laughs> to accept and work with, you know, especially yeah. if you, I'm raising my hand, type A, recovering type A person who wants to control all the things. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a hard mm-hmm. to work that way. Um, but I, I, so I, I worked on this for, I think, you know, that initial round was about three, four years. Um, and during that time, I had read a book called If Women Rose Rooted by Sharon Blackie. I don't know if you're familiar with Sharon mm. Blackie. Mm-mm. She's wonderful. She's, um, I believe she's British or Welsh. And she, um, oh gosh, I just realized, is it English or Welsh? I just, I'm so sorry for any UK listeners. I, I'm, yeah, I, is that the same thing if I say British and Welsh? I, I hope not. Anyway, she is from the British Isles and she, um, had she it's a beautiful book about um, reclaiming mythologies of women and what happens when women sort of stand in their power Mm. and then she weaves in examples of women who are doing that throughout the book and one of the examples she gave was a publisher by the name of lucy pierce who Mm. runs a publishing company called womancraft publishing out of ireland Mm. And I'm reading about this publisher who is working in such a feminine way. And their motto is, you know, publishing life-changing books for women and about women. And I thought that that's who I want to work with. I want to work with a publisher like that. That is the experience I want to have. Um, Cause I, you know, I, yeah, I have a question about that. Keep going. Yes. I have a question. Okay. Well, yes. And so I, I knew from, I had built my own business from the ground up all by myself. I was really, you know, a type A controlling. I wanted to do it by myself. And I, I figured that I could learn self-publishing and I could go that route, but I just didn't want to, I wanted to be collaborative with someone. Yeah. And I, I also knew that if I tried to go down a more traditional publishing route, which I did consider, and I can talk about that, I, I, you know, I did start to explore that, but I felt all kinds of anxiety around that uh, and, mm. and pressure and also the awareness that what I wanted to write about is kind of counter to our, to our culture and like, you know, sort of dominant capitalist narratives. And so there was this big question of like, how would I do that with integrity? Yes. How, how would I manage those things? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I really wanted Lucy to publish the book. And so I finished the draft, I think around 2019 or something. I mean, like I said, this has been a long process. And, uh, and I sent it over to her and, um, and, you know, and she, bless her. She sent me back the nicest rejection letter anybody can get for your first <laughs> submission of a book. Like, you know, if you're going to get rejected, it is really nice to have somebody be kind to you. Yeah. <laughs> And she said, you know, basically, look, this isn't there. I, I, I appreciate it. It's in theory, it's something that we would, you know, would be in alignment with what we published, but it's not there. I can't exactly tell you why it's not the right fit, but, um, Mm. you know, maybe check out some other places. Mm. And that was that. And so I went on and started reaching out to some other publishers and um, really wasn't getting anywhere. I had a friend who had been published by one of the major publishing houses who introduced me to an agent. That agent introduced me to another agent and, you know, she expressed some interest, but when you're publishing a nonfiction book, there's this question, you know, there's a lot of books out there right now. So there's a question of, do you have an audience? Like, can we put, you know, are people going to buy this? That's actually, okay. Can I just interject right there? Yes, please. That's what, was pinging for me when you said publishing in a feminine way, 
Because as I'm listening to this big publishing house, I'm listening to their educational videos right now. And I thought it's not going to hurt to be really well-educated in what they're looking for, what is getting published, you know, et cetera. And I was listening to the part, this was just last night. I was listening to the part about getting the proposal together. And I was like, I am way closer to a proposal than I think I am. And so I was like Mm. feeling this yay. And then I hear the difference. It was almost like the difference between self-publishing and actually getting a publishing deal is the size of your audience. And I have really been grappling with what kind of presence and what kind of energy do I put into quote unquote growing because I did so much of that early on and then it started to feel misaligned with me to be always like externally putting, putting things out there to get more people on the list or whatever. And I was like, you know, what I really love is community and tribe. Mm -hmm. And I really love going to like the sacred remembering community where we have Sunday calls and we actually have like sacred feminine church (laughs) Mm. and with the mysticism and with women's stories, like that's what I love. And if more women happen to be magnetized to that over time, then yes. And like, but, but this deep relational and community piece has really been guiding me this year and then, or forever, but like deeply this year. And my feminine is so ready to like get cozy in those places. Mm -hmm. And then I was hearing this about, well, we're not going to you know, look at your proposal of your fucking brilliant books, they're a poet, <laughs> if I do say so myself, <laughs> with without a massive audience. And I was like, do you realize that that energetic is so counter to the premise of my book, which is about like restored feminine prosperity in a new earth, you know, balance. It's the mm-hmm. heartland teachings that I talk about. And so it's like about this regenerative energy and about the feminine beyond domination culture. Like, what does that look like and how do we get there? And then to think that, you know, well, Sarah, you have to go build up an audience before you can put this book in the world. I was like, okay, that's not in alignment. Right. So I interrupted you many minutes ago now, Liz, but that, that is what I, I wanted to be like, okay, tell me about feminine publishing. And okay. So back to you, you're getting this message that you had to have a big audience. Yes. And I, I mean, yes, that disconnect has, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about and I uh, struggled with it through the whole process of, you know, this, this experience of writing the book and then trying to get it out in the world. And, um, so I, right. I, she, she basically said, look, your audience isn't big enough. Concept is good. I think I could help you sell it if you had a bigger audience, but, uh, you know, I don't think I can, I, I I'm not going to be able to get you a book deal, uh, with any of the major houses because your audience isn't big enough. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay. And, uh, I, I, the same friend that had introduced me to the agent, was like, you know what? I think you should, she had an epiphany one day we went to yoga together and we came out and she's like, you need to start a podcast. And that really resonated with me because I had been thinking about starting a podcast already. And I was a little nervous if I had the bandwidth to do it. And 
I wanted to like, I mean, what I've wanted more than anything since this whole journey started is to be in conversation with people about the sacred feminine, like mm-hmm. just been dying to. So I'm like, okay, well, that's perfect because I want to be, you know, talking to people about the sacred feminine. And if that helps me build my audience, so be it. Mm-hmm. So I started that show in 2020, February, 2020, right before the pandemic started, there were a couple of things that happened right then. I started the show and I had a Facebook group at the time that was private where we were exploring the sacred feminine. And it had really been bugging me that this group was private. I'm like, why, why are we locking away conversations about the sacred feminine? Like I almost felt like I was hiding it on Facebook somehow, like in doing so I was creating a shameful energy around it. Like, Oh, this isn't mainstream enough. So we got to lock it up. And I took that group public, which, you know, it was just more intended to claim, like, I think everybody should know about this, but it it helped some of the content go viral. And so the the group started growing a lot faster then. So the audience started, you know, coalescing. But at the time, I kind of, I put it aside. I I was just like, you know what? I don't know. I've I've gotten a lot of rejections. I'm not sure what's going to happen here. And then, you know, we get full into the pandemic. And my husband and I decided we've been living in California for many years and we decided we were going to move our family into an RV, homeschool our kids for years as we had a kindergartner. I'm like, there's no way he's going to school on Zoom. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. So we're going to homeschool our kids for a year and we're going to travel around in this RV and see the country. And we were ready to leave California at that point. And we're like, well, just find where we're going to live next. And so I, we got on the road and I... I was really enjoying being on the road. I was still doing the podcast from the road, but you know, I was spending every day teaching my kids. And then we were just out in nature for hours every day. It was fantastic. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm done with all this, like never done with a sacred feminine as a spiritual path. Like she is my spiritual path, but like maybe, you know, maybe I did what I was supposed to do with the book. Maybe just, you know, writing that first draft was it. Maybe, maybe I'm done. Who knows? Maybe I'll even stop the podcast. I have no idea. And and it was in quick order, I had two dreams back to back. Uh, so this is where the feminine comes in. You know, she mm-hmm. starts to talk to me. But in the first dream, I had met up with a friend that I knew who had written a book uh, many years ago. He wrote a business book, but an, a fairly unconventional business book. And I had met up with him in a hotel and I was so excited to see him. And, um, you know, we're just talking about book publishing and all these things. And it was, it just had a lot of good energy behind it. And I thought, huh, you know, when I woke up, like, that's interesting. And then the next night I dreamed that a nun named Bernadette, who had a very much of like a mother superior feel, came to me and told me that I was supposed to build a church to the goddess, to the divine feminine. Yes. And that it was supposed to look like a church that was clear. Like it was not supposed to look like a sacred feminine temple or anything. It was going to kind of pass as somewhat mainstream but it was most definitely a temple to, or a church to the sacred feminine. And so I never took that dream literally, like I must go start a church, you know, but it seemed like a very clear message that I wasn't done with this work. Mm -hmm. And not long after that, I had Lucy on my podcast. My podcast had continued to grow and um, she was a very natural fit. She's an author and a publisher of spiritual women's books And at the end of that show, after we'd stopped recording, she uh, told me that she didn't make this offer. She'd never made this offer, but that if I wanted to work on the book and resubmit it to her, I could. And, Mm -hmm. um, 
and that she felt that I could go deeper on the history in particular, that I just, that there was a depth that I hadn't gotten to. Mm. And so that felt very clear again. Like, it's like, okay, the universe is literally rolling out the red carpet to you. So get on it. Um, but I didn't rush it, Sarah. I like, I mean, there was, it was clear to me that we were on this trip for a reason. I was spending this time with my family. I was meant to see the country. I was meant to be homeschooling my children. I was meant to be living out of time in a way for a while. And there was no way I could really write, start writing a, or rewriting a book in an RV, like with the way I was living. I mean, maybe some people could, but it did not, it, it didn't seem like it was going to fit. Mm. So I waited until we got settled here in Virginia. And then I got the draft of the book out and, um, I looked at it and I realized right away, I could see in a way that I couldn't see a couple years before that it wasn't done and that I could go so much deeper. And I I just could not see that before. It was done as far as I was concerned with that first draft. Um, But now I could see a different way into it. And, uh, And so, and then from there, it was just this really interesting dance of, of allowing myself to be led and also putting the structure and the commitment to getting it done. Like both of them had to be there. And I, I gave myself a gift last summer of four or five days at a cabin, only 20 minutes from my house, but in very quiet part to work on the book. And, um, and by creating that container, it just, it happened. I mean, I, I had, I thought it was going to hike and think, and no, I got up and I wrote every day for mm. like 10 hours. Like it just mm. did not stop flowing. And that was the kickstart I needed to go ahead and, and finish it. And I, after I had finished the first two chapters, rewrites, I sent them to Lucy and said, mm-hmm. would you, would you be willing to take a look and tell me if you think this is on the right track? Yeah. And she said, Yes. And then she read it and she's like, it's a hundred percent. Yes. Keep going. So, and and there we go. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yes. And there, and there we go. And so that whole process from the moment I had that waking thought to when it got published, you're talking like a span of six or seven years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was way longer than Mm. I expected than I wanted. I thought I was going to knock this thing out in a couple of years. And yet, and I, and I had this, you know, that whole scarcity mindset that takes its form in all different ways or like, nobody's going to care about this anymore by the time it comes out, or it's not going to be relevant or, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. and it's all just, I think it's all noise. I think it, you know, it, it, it arrived in exactly the way it needed to. And it's all a mystery to me. Like, why did I need to get started seven months to the day after you know, I, I had that moment. At, I don't know. I, I don't know any of that. But looking back at it, does all feel like there was a hand, you know, kind of guiding me along. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm not I'm not asking the next question I thought I was going to ask. I'm just like purely <laughs> going with what's arising. So I want to talk about listening to that guidance, like listening to the sacred feminine, listening to the intuition and the dreams. And, um, and then I hear you saying the human, you thought that it would have a different time span or trajectory or, you know, but, but what I hear is that you listened. And as I reflect on that, I feel like 
What's difficult for me in my life right now is that I feel like I have, I have heard so many of those clear things or those clear directives. And then, you know, the story that I kind of tell myself, that's maybe like a victim story, or it's just what I go to is like, yeah, but where's the support to do that? Mm. And that's really what I'm personally, like very much working out right now, because I, to be honest, think I'm in a, maybe I'm done moment. (laughs) That's a lot Mm -hmm. for me to admit on my podcast right now, like huge, because I'm like, maybe I'm done. Like maybe things aren't moving forward. Like I thought. And then Liz, as I, I'm like, Sarah, freaking poet, like, listen, (laughs) what kinds of guidance have you gotten? And recently, so I have, (laughs) I'm standing in this room and all of the Heartland chapter graphics are taped to my wall. Like I sleep in this bedroom temple surrounded by the Heartland ideas. <laughs> like, mm. And I have been in this, like, what is happening? Maybe I'm done space. I need more support space for a while. And then what happened was um, I got a divine ping to put out an ask for, I'll just, share the story. It was like, send an email to your email list saying that embodied breath is ready for an investor. And I was like, wow, that is a really clear (laughs) instruction. And so I sent that email and, um, I was having someone that I know in my, in my life, a close sister stepped forward and eventually spoke the words, I'm your investor. And I was like, oh, and then as we were weaving totally in the mysticism, totally in the feminine, and here we're talking about like investments and numbers and what does that look like? But this process has been all feminine, (laughs) like we're listening for the next right thing. And really what our souls are coming together to do is to bring this heartland transmission through. It was like, you were asking for support, Sarah. It's not the financial support. So you can just like go write your book for two months or whatever, but it's like actually helping the heartland transmission about feminine prosperity come Mm. through. And now we're like weaving this dance where we're checking in like every couple of days, every couple of weeks in person, um, giving offerings to the river, like just whatever comes up as the next step we're doing. And like, even though I'm in that deeply mystical, deeply magical, probably, you know, (laughs) like one of the most magical things that's ever happened to me. Although when I'm realistic about it, Liz, like that level of magic is in my life all the time. And I still have these stories playing of like, well, I don't know. I don't, like maybe I'm done. (laughs) And, you know, and then it's like the follow through or something. I don't know that. I just said all that. I just put that all out there, (laughs) but like, so this morning I got up and I heard the voice. I listened when the authentic voice comes through. That's like right about this right now. I sit down and I do it, Mm -hmm. but I do not make myself sit down and write the book because I'm really like, I want to 
I'm channeling this book. I'm, I'm in service to this book and to this transmission. So like, if I sit down and try to make it happen when really I'm stressed about something else or like it, it doesn't happen. And then I just feel pressure. And so I'm, I listen when the instructions come and this morning an instruction came and I sat down and wrote for an hour and it was amazing. So. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. And I mean, there's the, the word trust, the words trust and faith come up, you know, and that's just not, yeah. these aren't things that we, we tend to do very much in our culture, right? Like we have faith in ourselves and our own abilities to just power through things. Like that's sort of what this, the stories we like to tell at a broader cultural level or like how people power through, you know, and make yeah. stuff happen. And right. um, make I the book like happen, make the publishing happen, make the business happen. Yeah. Yes. And for me, there was, what I found was like loose structure was really helpful to me. Like, so I would, I would have a target in my mind and it helps once I was in conversation with my publisher too, but I, you know, they, they want to know when can you deliver this draft? Right. And so yeah. setting a target time with a supportive publisher, who's like, you tell me what's realistic for you. Uh, and then just trusting, like holding on to that deadline. So for me, that deadline was the end of last year in 2021 and holding on to that deadline but not turning that it wouldn't work for me to say okay well I'm going to write for 10 hours every week until this point you know like it, yeah. that wouldn't work it was just having that that deadline in my mind of like end of the year that's what I'm aiming for end of the year end of the year and you know then approaching each week with a do I have at least two or three a two or three hour block during this week or a couple of times a week where I know that I can be uninterrupted and I can, I can write. Cause I found that I couldn't do it with anything less than two hours. It just wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't enough time for me to fully drop in. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a dance of, of allowing, you know, allowing the messages to come and also me, um, I'm like, what is the metaphor? I'm like, I'm not pulling myself up by the bootstraps, but something like that. Me like putting, booty and chair and, and focusing. It was like a dance right. between those two things. Yes. Yes. I think for me, there's a quality of, there's like a, almost like a mature and immature version of like mature booty and chair, right? Like structure your mm -hmm. life, do it, let the transmission come through when it's like ready to come through, do it. I mean, here you have the publisher saying, send me the, the chapters. Like that's like a booty and chair moment, <laughs> right? <laughs> for sure. And then for me, there is, and this is part of what I'm grappling with. It's like my own, um, rush or push or productivity for productivity's sake. I mean, my whole system is just averse to that at this point. I think that's like a taking advantage of the sacred feminine within, and so if I try to construct almost like a false deadline, and then it ends up feeling like pressure on the creativity or, yeah. um, like I, I did that this year, I was like, okay, the draft has to be done by October because I was almost like sick of living the process <laughs> or I was like sick of being in this like liminal space with it. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to, and then I was like, oh no, I'm not because that's just pushing. 
Mm-hmm. I, I can't, I can't push. And that's like the unconscious, what I would call like the in, unconscious inner masculine, you know, being like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna force it to happen. And that just feels counter to like my inner feminine system. And so, but <laughs> and I don't want to go down my own like soapbox road there, but like the relationship with the masculine and like structure is masculine. And then the relationship with like trust and what are we trusting in? Like we're trusting in more than I'm trusting in more than just my ability to be productive. Cause if I, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's like so old school, so patriarchal to be like, well, I'm going to survive based on um, my ability to be productive, my ability yes. to like exert and um being in the trust of the process even if it takes six or seven years like yes so that it's like fully gestated by the time you birth it yeah formed yeah totally um yeah and the other thing that's kind of coming up for me too as we're talking about this is the things that so the the book, and I think even the whole sacred feminine path, I know we talked about this in our last conversation, it had a very, they both had a quality to them that was like a must do in this lifetime or that they were important. Yes. They were deeply important for me to do. And, um, and I feel like that's, you know, when the dreams came, when I was on the road, like there were things that were happening to remind me of that. Like, no, this isn't just your, um, this isn't just something cool that you want to do. Like, I think this is how I interpreted it. It's something that perhaps I signed up to do before I got here. (laughs) You know, this is something that was important that I did in this lifetime. And there are those other things though. And so I think I kind of got in my head that life is always going to be that way. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm. And it, and I don't know that that's the case. Like, I think we also, can be really deeply drawn by our heart's desire to have certain experiences. And those are just perhaps coming out of this life and this moment and this version mm. of ourselves. And so I know, like, for example, when we've moved to, when we moved here to Virginia, like when we moved to our house in California, even before I was on any sort of spiritual path that I knew of, I walked in that house and I knew immediately that that was our house. Mm. I don't know how I knew, but I knew. And I think, you know, it was probably because that being in that particular location was, was important for a variety of reasons for me to evolve and do what I needed to do. However, when we moved here, I kept walking through the house that we live in now and on the land. I'm like, oh, it's really nice, but I don't have that feeling. I don't have that feeling. I don't have that feeling, but it's really nice Mm -hmm. and we all love it, but I don't have that feeling. Does that mean it's not meant to be? And so there's been in my life, I guess, there, I'm, you know, bring it back around to the book. There's been this dance too of, of saying, okay, well, it can be, it can also be a deep desire and my desire for something might, might shift or soften over time. And if those signals aren't there, if I'm not getting those signals, maybe it just means that I have freedom and choice and I can do yes. whatever I want. Right. Cause yes. we're also. We, we also have, I feel like we come in with things that we need to do and we get to have this life as our playground. That's yes. where I'm at at the moment. Oh yeah. my gosh. We're weaving <laughs> sacred right now. Yes. Because that's what, honestly, that's, I, I've been grappling with this, like, okay, I'm just, 
I mean, it's too simple to say, maybe I'm done because it's really like, what is going on? (laughs) Send, Send some clues. Right. And then today I got to this point and I'm at this juncture with like, okay, I have work decisions to make. I have living decisions to make. I have like, where's my focus going to go in all of these major areas of my life? Like, am I going to try to make money this way or this way? You know, like, what's it going to be? And I realized today, I was like, I am at a crossroads in major areas of my life, kind of all at the same time. And uh, yeah, super interesting, like, because I've been in this super deep dive the last six months and in the eclipses just last month or this month, wherever we are, I came up and out of that. So like now I'm coming up and out of that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am at a crossroads in major areas. And that's what I was getting today was like, it, it's time for choice Yes, because I really have lived the past, I would say five years, like since leaving the career I was like, okay, soul, where are you taking me? What are we learning? You know, I I was really on a very feminine path and yeah, that's what I'm getting right now. It's like, okay, Sarah, why don't you start choosing? Because you don't (laughs) like the hard learning's done. Like the five years of, of like deep, wow, sacred remembering, mysticism, all of that. And it, it's like, make it some, make some choices. Yes. Yes. And then, and now, you know, and who knows, right. We might have a wholly, a totally different conversation a year from now or whatever, but I mean, right now, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. In this moment, I almost can see how it feels like, you know, from the moment that I sort of found the sacred feminine and I talked about it before, you know, I had a very, you know, kind of radically embodied experience at a business conference, but that felt like that moment was a course correct for me. Like I was headed down a path and uh, my spirit connected with whatever else is all around us, sacred feminine, whatever you want to call her or it, that, that energy in the universe and shook me out of this path that I was going down, which was, you know, pursuit of material yeah. wealth and success in a um, masculine way. Yeah. And that was that course correction was needed for the sole contract that I think I made in this lifetime. Because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And then it took years for me to course correct. Yes. And now I've course corrected. And so now it's kind of that that area of choice, I feel like, becomes more present. Because I I did it. Mm. I I course corrected and now I have options. I love that perspective. Yes. So we're just sharing back and forth, but I completely understand what you're saying because I ended up living on this piece of land in Marshall, North Carolina. And I've lived in Asheville area for like 15 years. And it was like, I came here to live in Marshall, North Carolina, but it took me like 13 years to live there. And so finally the invitation comes to live there. And I'm living on the sacred piece of land. And I, I had already had awakening upon awakening. And then I end up having a massive awakening and I was living with a man. And I've told this story on this podcast before, but so much happened. And that's where Heartland was given to me. And Mm. like Heartland came from the mountains, like came from the indigenous grandmothers. There's so much I want to weave into this 
conversation with you, Liz, because I want to talk about lineage healing yeah. um, and, and make sure to do that. But this, it was like star councils came forward and all these ancient grandmothers. And I was literally on my knees, like in the mud one day crying because the whole thing had like been such a whirlwind and I was having to leave this land. And the truth was I was so in love with the land and they all came forward and they were like, we get it. We get it. We get the diminishing of feminine resources. We get what happens when men on land and women and the indigenous are taken from the land. Um, because I don't usually say this out loud, but I have Cherokee lineage and I'm in Cherokee territory. And so I was working some kind of ancestral karmic piece with this, with this, you know, white man, landowner, I own this, you don't own this, mm -hmm. um, transmission or like karmic thing that was happening. And he would even, he would look at me and say things that had nothing to do with our current situation, but it was like, he was talking out of another time about yeah. like, I own this land. Who do you think you, and I was like, I'm aware that you own the land. Like, it was like, we were in multiple <laughs> timelines at once or something. And so anyway, that's where Heartland was given to me. And I knew very, like I knew pretty much as it was happening, I was like, I came here to live this. Like I, I came to this life to live this, this moment in time. And then like everything that was awakened in me is what I am supposed to do something with. Mm -hmm. And like, that's why I'm here. And there was so much that happened before that, you know, I was like, oh, that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm here. And really right now there's this kind of settling and clearing. And I'm like, this is my Dharma path in this life. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to do like everything that my soul ever set out to do in all the lifetimes. Cause I think that was confusing too. Cause I was having these sacred remembrances of, you know, priestess paths and, being able to do all of this incredible light work. And I was like, but I'm not supposed to be an energy healer in this life. Like, why am mm. I remembering these things? Why am I picking up on these things? And so um, this mm. conversation is incredibly helpful to me today to be like, oh yeah, Sarah, you're still on your Dharma path. Mm. <laughs> I um, love that. Thanks Liz Kelly and the sacred feminine. <laughs> She uses anybody she can and uh, anything to be a messenger, you know, like, I mean, it's pretty yes. amazing. Yeah. And I, I'm super grateful because this podcast is coming to a close at 144 episodes and I haven't known quite why, and I haven't really even wanted to talk much about it, but I am, I'm really grateful to you and this conversation because I feel like in this moment, I'm hearing the why, like mm -hmm. Sarah, you can, you can like slim down on all of the efforts that you're making and just really focus on this, on Heartland, on this transmission. And like they're sending helpers to see it come through. Yes. Oh, I love that. Oh, so amazing. Mm. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about lineage. If you're good to continue, this might be a little bit of a longer episode and I won't keep you for too much longer, but no, I'm good. Um, we had some really juicy things that we were 
thinking of, of talking about. And as I was reading the book, I'm not all the way through, but, um, there's so much really, really beautiful information in there from the sacred remembering perspective. And then that all, also that historical perspective and just thank you for writing it. Mm. <laughs> thank you for receiving it. Oh. Yes. So, okay. So one of the things that we were thinking of is healing ancestral wounds via, via the sacred feminine. And in the book, I remember, I don't know if you were talking about this or like, this is what I wrote down in my notes. I was, I was pondering as a result of reading this, this kind of inquiry, like how did we learn to become women? And that's a question that I've asked in my women's groups, like over the last few years, like, what did you learn about being a woman from, you know, from the women in your family line or the men or religion? Right. But it's like how we learn to be women. And I think I just told the story, but I'll, I'll share really quickly. One of the major examples of this in my life was when I was 19 and I got pregnant and I was 18 when I got pregnant and I was in my freshman year of college. And of course, um, well, my mother was like very distraught and long story short, I've shared it on this podcast before that the, my daughter was adopted and the message was like, go get a career, go make something of yourself. You ha- you're, you're doing this in the wrong order. Like go, um, be secure before you're a mother. And my mm. mother had like no ability to say the words to me, Sarah, being a mother is going to be the most important, most precious thing you'll ever do in your life. Let's figure it out. Like she couldn't say those kinds of words. She couldn't put the feminine before performance or money or success or image. And that's how I learned to be a woman. Mm. So I think I'd love to hear you speak about, you know, the sacred feminine has been stripped from, from consciousness, from like, from the collective for so long. And I could actually, when I realized that my mother couldn't do it because she just didn't know to do it, like when I realized that sometime in my twenties, I could forgive her more. Mm-hmm. Like she didn't know. I don't even know that she would talk about motherhood or the feminine like that. She certainly wouldn't talk about the feminine. So yeah. the priorities like weren't even there. And, and when I look back through the lineage, the evidence of that scarring or just a different set of values or priorities is like very evident. So that's what, what sparked for me when I was thinking about this, about like healing, healing the, like the loss of the feminine through the lineage. Yeah. Yes. Well, boy, there's a lot I could say about that, but I think, you know, the way I, I kind of approach it in the book and I write about it is Oh, and, and I, I do want to share this. I, I had an interview. It will be coming out on my podcast um, next 
that'll be December 2022, uh, with uh, the writer Sophie Strand. And she um, said to me that she viewed the, the sacred feminine as a portal and not necessarily a destination. And I loved that language. And I thought of because the sacred feminine has been a portal for me in so many ways. And one of those was pointing me right back to um, my family lineage and my, my ancestry and looking at that and understanding it. And right away, I would hit a block because for me, that there was a, a religious component that shut everything down. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was raised as Southern Baptist and God was just not a woman. And um, I think when I start, first started getting on this path, it was really alarming for my own mother. I think uh, I think it was touch and go there for a while. I think she thought maybe I, you know, joined a cult or something. Um, <laughs> it just, it, yeah. because, because when we start to heal old wounds, you know, like we, I mean, a lot of stuff comes up, anger and grief and, and, uh, and, and that was all surfacing. Sacred feminine was a portal to a lot of things that I had suppressed. And, um, yeah. and, and I, as far as I looked back in my lineage, um, I was surrounded by, I am surrounded by women, as far as I know, who are really devout Christians, which means they were fully bought into this idea of God as a man and being Southern women, uh, these more traditional roles for women, um, you know, like with you are, you are subservient to your man and you are, you are in service and in all the ways in which toxic uh, masculinity meets toxic <laughs> femininity, right? I guess, you know, yeah. all the ways it limits us. And yet um, it felt really clear. And so I would feel this like terrible sadness and longing for, for the ancestor that I just imagined was back in my lineage that had a healthier understanding of the sacred feminine. And I did not know how to find that person mm. at all. And then at the same time, well, I guess there's, there's a couple ways that I could, I could come into this. So, um, okay, I'm going to start here. So one day I was sitting in meditation and I do write about this in the book, but I was sitting in meditation and my grandfather who passed when I was in my twenties came to me and, um, I felt his presence. I don't, sometimes I see, but a lot of times I feel, and that day I felt his presence very clearly. And he, like the rest of my family, was very Christian. And, you know, was one of the people I was kind of relieved wasn't around anymore when I started doing this work because I didn't know how he would approach it. And he put a crown of thorns on my head, which is a very clear symbolism of Jesus, right? And then told me, you cannot throw out the baby with the bathwater. You just can't do it. Um, because if you do, you're going to lose your family, the connection to your family. And that connection is important. And I was like, oh, granddad, all right, fine. Like, I don't know what this means, but okay, I'll do my best. And so I really took that to heart. And that is one way that I ended up um, praying the rosary, um, picking back up the rosary, at more of a divine feminine rosary. I was not raised Catholic. But to me, that is kind of a through line to my ancestral wisdom, because certainly before they were Protestant, if you look at the history, I come from England, uh, my family's mostly from England, and um, um, some Scotland too. But um, they certainly would have been praying 
the rosary probably. They probably yeah. would have been uh, identified as Catholic before that. And what I know about the rosary is that it's not really a Catholic practice. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like mm-hmm. a Catholicism kind of, um, you know, co-opted it and it's much older and it's connected to the goddess. So I'm like, all right, here's how I'm going to do that. So I started picking up the rosary and praying it. And then the other thing that happened in terms of ancestral, so that that got me kind of like a way to think about my ancestral people without completely rejecting them and their faith path. It didn't help me so much with this idea of understanding, um, you know, what it means to be a woman in this particular line of women. And that came to me again. I just, I love how this conversation, I feel like it's highlighting the ways the sacred feminine comes to me. A lot of it's dream work and vision work, right? It's all these things that are not um, linear or rational or what have you. But I was in a meditation, uh, another meditation with a small group. And my friend was leading us on this guided meditation to connect with our ancestors who had wisdom for us. Hmm. And um, in that meditation, my ancestors showed up right away and they were pissed at me. They were not happy. They were really disturbed by this path that I'd gone on. They thought I was, you know, um, had stepped away from my faith path. They were pretty, pretty adamant that um, it was disrespectful and they were ashamed of me. And that was so painful. And the way that I saw them was just kind of this blurry, like group of anonymous figures, like kind of shouting at me. Mm. And so I shared that with, um, my friend and mentor who was leading this and she encouraged me to ask them to step aside. Anybody who's not fully healed, step aside. Yes. Yes. Until you can find somebody who is, and they did step aside and this woman appeared. And I mean, boy, you had to go way back. I mean, cause honestly, I'm pretty sure like from the way she was dressed, she was like 1600s era pre the U S for sure. And uh, I don't know, my, my intuition is that she was from kind of border, border area of England and Scotland, which I do know I have ancestors from there now. I'm aware of that now. And um, she just was, she was standing outside of like a very average looking kind of thatched roof house. And she was stirring a pot and she kept looking at me and her words were, keep stirring the pot. That is your job. Keep stirring the pot. And she has been with me ever since. I call her Bettina. I have no idea. That's not an English name. So I don't know where I came up with that, but maybe it's her name. Maybe it's not. But I call her Bettina. And in that connection with her, like a lot of things happened. Um, I felt like I had a hold now of my family lineage and I had somebody that I could connect to. But the other thing that happened with those ancestors yelling at me is I realized in that shame that I was also ashamed of them. Because I have all the details on my family and I know that I have ancestors that enslaved people. I've seen the wills. Oh I've yeah. Seen, my, I get some uh, stories. Yeah. I know. Yes. You're like, what? <laughs> yes. I have seen the details. I, I know that ancestors were awarded um, grants of land that were taken from indigenous people in this very area. I know that. And there's a lot that I'm aware of. And so I realized that mm. I had a lot of shame and a lot of anger towards them too. Yes. And by being in that circle that day, having them shout at me and then realizing my own pain and then connecting with this ancestor, something happened, something kind of broke open for me where I started to see 
them as people, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. real people who made really flawed choices, especially by our modern standards, but were also just people living out the norms of their time and their days and making the best choices that they could. And also, I wouldn't be here without them, period. I would not exist had they not existed. It's true. So that's a place to start, right? And I did get to be in a ceremony with an indigenous leader and she, um, you know, not long after this, and I was still kind of really feeling the shame and the pain of this. And she's like, well, if nothing else, uh, you can be grateful for your life and your children's lives. Yeah. Start there. And so ever since then, things have kind of opened up and ancestors that I thought I could never connect with have visited me in my dreams. I had my, my paternal grandmother actually came to me in a dream and told me directly that my people were very devout Christians and that now they're on the other side. They understand that there are different paths for different people and they're, they're, they're with me. I could cry in gratitude right now. Mm. It's been the most beautiful thing to have happen. So I don't know exactly if I answered your question there, but um, I just wanted to hear you talk about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Thank it's you for been, sharing. It's been really powerful. And I do joke sometimes, you know, when we have challenging relatives and like, I do think it's easier sometimes to reconcile with them when they're dead. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of yeah. those things kind of fall away and we get to we get to know that the relationships don't end, right? But we get to know each other in a different way without being bound by some of the, the baggage and the trauma and all the things that get us stuck here on this plane. Of this life, yes. Yeah. Um, I do want to shout out two things for listeners. And as I listened to our first interview from this May, 2022, I thought, why didn't I talk about this podcast that we also did on this podcast um, with Sarah Benoit? And so I want to say that now, because this is about her remembrance of Mother Mary and really reconciling her Christian lineage as well. Um, So It's from May, 2021, and it's called Christian Teachings and Second Chances. And I just looked that up. And then um, the other thing that I wanted to shout out and feel free to shout out any names, but um, if anyone is looking to do that lineage work and to find the, the well ancestor in your lineage that wants to be your guide, Um, a brilliant woman here in these mountains in Asheville is um, Marianne Mitchell. That would be my recommendation that I know of for that kind of work. If anyone uh, wants to, if anyone is like, Ooh, how do I do that? (laughs) Um, Marianne can, can walk you through that. Maybe you have uh, someone else as well, but it felt like we were talking about a lot of like big ideas and almost like ceremonial things. And so I wanted to just give a reference point for where people could learn more about that. Yes, I would also suggest maybe checking out the work and the writings of Perdita Finn. Um, she co-authored a book on the rosary, but she's also, mm. if you're on Facebook, she writes a good bit about um, working with the dead and mm. how you can work with your own dead and uh, asking them to help you, even the difficult ones, if you're ready and you want to engage with them. And of course, you don't have to deal with the difficult ones unless you're ready, but um and she's got a book coming out next year called Take Back the Magic, which is about mm. working with the dead too. Mm. So um, if you're on Facebook, that might be the place to, to look because I know she's published lots of essays around this. Thank you so much. I just yeah. got back on Facebook to use it as a 
tool to access things like this. Like I needed to access certain groups and I, <laughs> so I'm, I totally canceled Facebook and then I had a fresh start. So <laughs> I want to begin to wrap up and I actually need to begin to wrap up because I have a um, client call in 15 minutes, but of all of the things that are still on my notes, <laughs> we'll have to, I was going to say, we'll have to have you back a third time, but we'll have to wait till the next iteration of a podcast to, to see if there's a third time. Um, or we'll, we'll do something else, right? Like, we'll I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> yes. Okay. So in this moment, what, I, what I so appreciated in the book is your use of the word generative to de- describe the sacred feminine. And that energetic is just so dear to me. And I've been really exploring that and walking with that with Heartland and just coming back to that essence of generative and regenerative. And I would just love to hear you speak to that quality. I mean, you use that to describe the feminine multiple times in the book. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear you speak to that. Like what's coming to mind? What do I want to say about that? Um, I think, well, I mean, I think that the the angle that I, I, I think of creativity, right? And endless creativity. And um, like the generative quality is, yeah, that's a different way of saying creative. I'm, I'm sorry, Sarah. I can hear my son singing in the room next to us. I'm really we hoping we're not. Can you yeah, hear no. it? Just barely. And I wouldn't <laughs> have even noticed it, but I love that. And yeah, I had questions about being a mother of a son and teaching him that like, again, we just didn't get to everything. I love what happened here. And I love your son singing, like no problem at all. Okay, good. I'm like, <laughs> I, I think you might've forgotten I'm recording in the next room. So it's, it's, love a, it. it's adorable, but I'm like, how oh, old okay. is he? He's eight. Perfect. Yeah. I have, um, it, it's kind of secret, but he doesn't listen to my podcast anyway, but I have all of these voice memos on my phone of my son singing in the shower at that age. It's like such an awesome age for just singing. <laughs> oh, it's great. I know he still does wake up some mornings just singing to himself and I'm yes. sure that will go away eventually. So it is yes. really adorable, but maybe, maybe not the best for podcast recordings. <laughs> I think it's perfect. Oh, okay. So generative. Yes. Um, I mean, I think of like that, that ultimate creating force, you know, that life force energy that is to me, a deeply feminine thing. And I think we could, there are different uh, traditions that might place that in different ways. Um, but it's a very life affirming. I think of the sacred feminine, mm-hmm. right? If you are constantly in the act of creation, that's a very life affirming thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um and so that, that is what's coming to mind for me right now around mm-hmm. the idea of, of being generative. And so I, I guess if we apply that to our, our own lives, I think it's honor. And I want to loop back our conversation about books and whatnot, right? Is honoring that creative impulse in us and, and recognizing it as a generative force that we are participating in that generative energy and that those creative drives and impulses, like however small or large, like they are, they are spinning out new life and like new worlds in a way, you know, like we Mm, are a microcosm of her. I think like there's no, I mean, I'm really, the more I think about it, like these days, I feel like the less 
difference there is between us and any form of divinity. We're just divinity on smaller mm-hmm. form, right? Like we're just mm-hmm. like, and so our lives are, um, they are a sacred acts too. And all these things that we are creating and putting out are generating new life and new ways of being. And that is so mm. powerful, especially when you loop in the choice piece of like, what do I want to generate? Yes. You know, it's, it's really beautiful. Yes. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, last weekend, my son and I were in the living room on Sunday and he had just studied indigenous first nation, uh, creation stories and social studies. And in the book, you were talking about different creation stories. And I'm reminded of the one creation story that says that um, the great spirit is is the one who has all the eggs or the one who holds all the eggs. Yes. It's like the sacred feminine great spirit, the one who holds all the eggs. All yes. the possibilities of creation. Yes. And that comes from the Mi'kmaq people yes of northern united states and then um, also up into canada and that's a story that was relayed by an indigenous woman named sherry mitchell and Mm. she tells that um and i i quoted it in the book because it, it was part of illustrating how um patriarchy gets overlaid onto everything and so missionaries that were you know encountering indigenous people the indigenous mi'kmaq um wanted to know their name for their divine source. And I may or may not be pronouncing this correct, but they gave the name Nisquam and that became great spirit. But because the, uh, because the missionaries only could, could only imagine God in masculine form, they called that a he. But when that word is translated back into its native language, it means the one who holds all the eggs. And as Sherry Mitchell says, that is female. Yes. Oh, it's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. And I asked my son, I said, did you know, did you hear about that story in, in social studies? And he said, no. And he goes to a you know pretty progressive school to be studying this in the first place. And I said, so what did you notice about the feminine? Now he's 13 and he hears me talk about feminine and masculine all the time. So I said, what did you notice about those stories? Did the creation stories come from the feminine a lot of the time? And he thought about it and he was like, yeah, totally. And I said, did you talk about that in class? And he said, no. And I was like, well, at least we got that far. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. It's a start. At least yeah. he's, you're, you're calling his awareness to it. There's always so much. I feel like there's a lot of re-education we end up having to do as parents, as conscious parents, you know, and hopefully uh, if they decide to be parents, they won't have to do as much as we've had to. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Liz, it's always such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for coming and weaving magic today and uh, for being one of the final sacred remembering episodes. So it's so good to be with you. Oh, you too. I I could talk with you all day and I feel really honored to be one of your, your wrap up guests. So thank you for having me back. Yes. Thank you for writing your book. Everyone (laughs) go get Liz's book. Liz, where, where can they find the book? 
So it's available pretty much anywhere you would order a book. Um, you can, and I, so I've been encouraging people to, if you want to order it through my publisher, which is Woman Craft Publishing, because she's a small woman-owned business. It's yeah. amazing. She's out of Ireland, however. So you got to keep that in mind with shipping rates and whatnot. And then I realized that slight mistake. If I'm telling people to order from directly from her, I'm like, oh, I need people to review this book on Amazon too. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, so people know about it. So you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it through Barnes and Noble. You can buy it anywhere, uh, you know, anywhere online. Um, and then of course, if you want to support a small woman-owned business, you can order direct from the publisher, which is Womancraft Publishing. Um, but if you really loved the book and you wanted to write me a review on Amazon, I, I would certainly um, accept that offering. Just yes, that. <laughs> absolutely. Like, please, you know, please know everyone, like if you like what anyone does support it, but small women-owned businesses, like you know, we make podcasts, go review the podcast, go review the books. Like it, it really matters while we are trying to do these things that our soul called us to do. Um, it really matters because, you know, Liz wrote a book and someone published it and now she needs reviews so we can get the book, we can leave reviews <laughs> and we can support, um, your, your fantastic imprint on this planet. Thank you for, for living your <laughs> Dharma and destiny by whatever name you, um, you call it, but thank you for living your soul's path and, you know, putting, putting this legacy piece into the world of home to her. Oh, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. Um, it's an honor. It's just an honor. It's just, and it's my joy. It is my joy to be able to share this with people. And I get so excited when people want to talk about it. So thank you for <laughs> wanting to talk about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're so welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. This is Sarah Poet of Embodied Breath, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway? Be sure to check the show notes, subscribe to this podcast, share with a friend, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. We love to hear from you and your reviews help and they matter. Remember, you are not alone on this sacred remembering path and women are rising now and we're doing it together. You can join the sacred remembering community at sarahpoet.com and also visit there for more tools and inspiration and also to book work with me privately. Here's to your sacred remembering path. Much love and we'll talk to you next time.